Father, this morning we have expectancy. As you have called me into your chamber to declare, we have expectancy not only for our own relationship with you, but what you're doing in the bride, what you're doing globally, what you're doing locally. We come here, Father, this morning with great expectation. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your power. I thank you for the power of your very word. I thank you that your word will never return void. I thank you, Father, that... Even though we come with expectancy, so do you. That your expectancy is for us to recognize what you did in sending your only son to the, to this earth and to become a man and to die and rise from the grave. To literally give his life on the cross for each of us. Your expectancy is for us to awaken our hearts, to recognize your call, to recognize your voice, to recognize our very responsibility. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God. You are almighty God. Fill my mouth with your words, none of my own. I declare it in Jesus' name. That is my heart's desire as Josh prayed. Lord, do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. When he first gave me this word last night, or... or it, you know, and you guys know how this works with me. Gives me hints of what he wants to talk about. And it was interesting because as he was kind of showing me throughout the week, I was, I wouldn't say arguing with him. I mean, I know Moses argued with God, but, you know, I, I, I don't argue with God, but but I question my understanding of what he's saying. How's that? That's a better way to say it. And even toward, I want to say Thursday, Thursday or Friday was the first day that he kind of began to give me some hints on this. And, and I was like, Lord, I mean, you've done this so many times. You know, am I, am I understanding you correctly? And, and I, I think I think we've even talked about this scripture before, and and so I said, okay, fine, I'll give you more scripture. <laughs> okay, so he gave me more scripture, and basically the way it ended with him this morning was, I'm going to keep saying this until my people get it. 
I'm going to keep speaking this until my people get it. And yes, it's always going to be this idea of relationship, but it's really more of what was said earlier, and that is, from, from Shannon's mouth, that is the cost of what that means. You know, we sit here, right? We come to church, we sit here, we enjoy fellowship, we enjoy the worship, and, and praise God. By the way, I, I thought it was so awesome because, because the Lord, Lord speaks so many different people. When I, when I sat down as we were, uh, reading, or doing, we had finished the last song and I'm about to come up and I don't always look at my phone, um, but I looked at my phone to, uh, uh, see if there was anything on there time-wise that I need to be aware of and whatever. And I, and I saw that, that Nathan had texted me. Yep. And he had texted me the very same thing. He said, we need to do another song. I thought, God is so awesome. See, God doesn't just speak to one, right? He'll speak to millions. But he's going to speak to people that are ready to receive. He's going to speak to people that are ready to hear him, to know that you even can hear him. Do you know, for me, that was the hardest thing. You know, I've shared my testimony before. I've been saved now for, for almost 46 years. Right? And 40 of those years, or 45 years, how old am I? I don't know. I'm 39, so I was saved before I was even in the womb, right? Yeah, I'm very old, I know. Right? So, so for 40 years, I didn't even recognize, didn't even realize that God would speak to us. I mean, I, I knew he did in his word. I knew that if I read his word, I'll glean from his word. And, and he speaks to me through his word. But, but this idea of relationship, I never got it for 40 years. And, and then the Lord began to open my eyes to say, Greg, look, I've been trying to get your attention for 40 years. That this relationship that I want from you is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It's not where you learn about me and then are obedient to what you learn about. See, that can be a little tough. Because if he's trying to share something intimately with me and he's showing me a principle in his word, I can miss the fact that I need to apply that principle in this situation in what I'm doing. All you're getting, if all you're learning is about him, all you're getting is top level, top end, surface things about who he is. Now those aren't bad. Understand that that's what religion is built upon. But there's a missing intimacy that comes when you recognize that he loves you. He doesn't just love your group. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you individually. He wants to speak to you individually. And there's a cost to that. As Shannon prayed, the cost is everything. And why would it be anything less? And I know this is not a popular way to preach. It's not a popular way to preach to say that when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, 
What did he pay for your life? He paid everything. I believe that we will spend eternity learning all the things that the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have paid by Jesus becoming a man. Because it was not a temporary payment. It couldn't be. Because, see, what we had to pay was eternal. If you don't accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you go to hell. You go to hell eternally. Forever. Never stops. So the payment that Jesus made was an eternal payment. In many respects. It was an eternal death because the Bible said he conquered death. He was raised from the dead. Why? Because death could not hold him, the Bible says. He conquered death. But do you understand, and we've talked about it before, that there is a man, a human being man, that is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He is a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. But look in the Word of God. He did not attain His authority after He became a man. That might shock a few of you. He did not attain that because, well, He's God, so now that He did the man thing, now He kind of comes through and, and now He gets to be God again. doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way. The Bible said He was given all authority. The Father, when He raised Him from, from the dead, He lifted His name above all names. And He gave Him all authority. See, what Jesus lost, and what He pays for for all eternity, was that He took on our frailty. He took on this human form as he lived this life. He was the first to be given a glorified body when he was raised from the dead. The Bible says that very same body that you and I will have. So see, it didn't change when he was raised from the dead. It didn't change from what our destiny, if you will, is going to be. Because it said, we'll receive the very same body. We'll receive the very very same thing. The authority is not the same. Understand, the Father gave all authority to Jesus Christ. I'm ringing, aren't I? He gave all authority to Jesus Christ. And in that, Jesus Christ now had the authority... To raise up a bride. And to literally, when the time is right, and we, we know in, in Revelation and in Daniel and in, in Ezekiel and all these, all these different books that it talks about, there's a day coming, and Isaiah and many more, a day coming where he will take reign physically on this earth. Jesus will reign in the thousand year reign. But this is all for the purpose of relationship with you. Relationship with me. It's, it's just not this idea of, I just don't want you to burn. 
So I'm going to sacrifice everything so you don't burn. Honestly, what does God get out of that? Just so he doesn't have to watch us burn? See, if that's all it is, if that's all that, that this idea of relationship and this idea of, of salvation is, if that's all it is, then God got the short end of the stick and, and yet he sacrificed the most. That just breaks my heart. When you begin to understand that, you begin to understand you have a responsibility, but you also have an opportunity. See, I can't, I can't do anything about anybody else. But I have an opportunity in myself to give him everything that I am so that I can give him something that he deserved from the very beginning. And something that he wanted from the very beginning. I could give him all of me. I could give him relationship with me, which is what he wanted. It's what he died for. And when I do that, you read it, John 15. When I do that, I become his friend. He said, he said, you were a servant. No longer are you my servants. He's talking to his disciples. This is after three years of building relationship with them. Three years of Peter, Peter sticking his foot in his mouth. And Jesus saying, yeah, it's not quite it. But them loving him. By the way, I, I know I knock on Peter all the time because, but, but recognize he was the first one to recognize Jesus was the Messiah. He said, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. He also said, "Where when, when Jesus said, are you going to leave me as well? Because he was saying hard things to the people. And, and Peter pops up and he said, where would we go? You have the answer to life. See, so I can control me. And I can give him what he deserved in my life from the very beginning, why he created me from the very beginning, I could give him that relationship because that part is up to me. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, that is all him, guys. We didn't earn any bit of that. Nothing. In fact, the only thing that we do in accepting Jesus Christ into our heart is we accept. We believe. And with our mouth, we confess. We invite him into our heart. So literally all we do is receive. But see, at that point, a shift happens. At that point, we have a responsibility that if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, that's on us. Now, not that he will not help. He will. The Bible says, take a step unto me and I will take a step unto you. But we have to step first. We have to offer our hearts in that relationship with him. And, and literally, he spends the whole time with us. Okay, you came, came this far, and he meets us there, and he pours into us. and he, Okay, come a little further. Come a little further. Come a little further. See, it's not an overnight thing either. Building relationship with him, you know, I, I've shared with you, for me, it's taken 45 years. It took 40 years. 
to understand that that relationship was even possible. But in that 40 years, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a loss, it wasn't a waste. In that 40 years, I learned of who he was. I saw him work in my life in ways that, that were extraordinary. I saw him pull me out of, I, I was one of those stupid young people, right? I, I thought it was so funny because when I wanted to get a car, when I was, you know, I'm, I bought my first car, all right? I worked hard for my first car. And, and when I went to buy it, it, it confused me because it was my money. But my parents said, anything but a V8. Whatever, what, and, and you watch the commercials, isn't V8 good? No, I'm sorry, bad joke. Right, but anything but a V8. Why? Because you're going to wrap it around a telephone pole and you're going to kill yourself in a V8. Okay, all right, no V8. So then I pick a car that I did more stupid things in than I ever would have done with a V8. I picked a Jeep. And if you know what a Jeep can do, and this was, this is when, back when Jeeps were built to be really awesome. You know, and not that Jeeps aren't awesome now, it's just now you gotta add so much junk to them to make them sturdy. This was a CJ5, 1975 seat, no, and I did not drive in 75. Okay. Alright, it was older by then. 1975 CJ5 Jeep. This had the beefed up suspension and it had the big tires, had all that. And I lived in Colorado. That's a bad combination for somebody who wants to be stupid. <laughs> I remember at one point, I'm dry, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here, but I remember one time driving, I don't even remember where it was. I think I was up there with, with my nephew, Matt, because I remember him just clinging so hard to the bar. <laughs> And, and I'm coming around, and I'm, I'm on this angle, and, and I'm, I'm going to say it was probably about a 25-degree angle, enough to slide, okay? Which isn't a big deal, except there was about a 1,000-foot drop-off on this side, the driver's side. I would have felt much better if it would have been on that side. But I'm pulling around, not realizing, I'm sorry, Marty, that I ever did that to him. <laughs> You probably never knew about it, right? Yeah, I probably made him swear not to tell. But we didn't know what it was. We, we just thought we were getting to the other side of the pass, and, and we come in. We're, we're in the middle of this thing, and I looked down, and I thought, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. And, and, and I had thoughts at that moment, how do I jump out of this vehicle? You know, now the nice thing about the Jeep is the top's off, right? And the top's off this thing. And, and, but, and, and back then, I don't even know if they had seatbelts because we never wore them. And, and I'm, I, I actually don't even think it had seatbelts. Um, which is good because if you're going to flip over that thing, you're better off flying out anyways. But I just remember thinking, I, 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 I don't want to lose this vehicle, but I, I got to jump out. And what do I do with Matt? So because of Matt, I stayed and we got to the other side and I can't remember how we got home, but but we did it. So I did more stupid things with that four-wheel drive than I ever did with a V8. Although I got to say, I'd probably say the same thing if I had a son. But I don't even remember what my point was, but that was a cool story. <laughs> 
right? That was a cool story. But we do stupid things. We do stupid things as we're growing in our relationship with Him, right? We ask Him into our heart. That's everything He does. But then what we do is we offer our lives to Him each day. And, and I remember even as I was growing, I had a hunger for Him. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know where to take it because the, the, the schools and everything that I was a part of, and, and you guys know this, it was legalism, and, and where do you go with that? Where do you go with the fact that, that relationship isn't even an opportunity? But see, because I wanted him, I didn't even know what that meant, but because I wanted him, he opened up opportunity for me to learn who he was. And I'll never forget when the, the day I became open to relationship with him. I was going through the book of Acts and I'm reading this and I'm just like, you know, in, in my mind, I'm talking to myself. In reality, I was talking to the Lord. I'm like, and this was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I said, Lord, why don't I see this? I mean, I mean, your word is, Good yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It never changes. Your word will always be the same. So why is this not happening today? Why don't I see? Even, forget the miracles. Okay, I wasn't even talking about the miracles. I was talking about the sacrifice. Why don't I see people that are willing to give up anything for Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, for me, I struggled with that. Because I had this innate desire in me to give my life for something. I don't even know, I mean, I know where that came from. That came from the Lord. I know now what the intent was in my life. But all, all growing up in, once I started driving and getting later in high school, it was, it was all about going into the military, about, about, Fighting about, you know, I, I just want to stand for something. Do you know that is built innately in every one of you? This desire to stand for something. So I'm reading this book and, and Acts and I, I'm like, why don't we have people that sacrifice like they did? Do you not demand a holiness like what you did then? Right, Shannon talked about Ananias and Sapphira. How they sold their lot and held back a part of it. And see, Peter, his reaction wasn't, why didn't you give it all? His reaction was, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? You didn't even have to give it all. You didn't even have to sell the land. But you sold the land, said you give it, gave it all, and then they held a portion back. See, the consequences were pretty swift. And, and, and I read that and I say, Lord, it, was that just a time that is over? See, because I want to stand for something. I want, I want to make a difference in something. And I know in the young people in this world, in, the, in America, and really all over the world, because they have the same sentiment 
over in Nigeria. The young people in this world, they want to stand for something because they feel like the world stands for nothing. Why do you see the cry right now for this socialist society? It's because they want to stand for something. But they can't quite figure out because of their age, the ramifications of what they're standing for. That's why the Bible says that, that the youth bring a strength and bring a power and bring an excitement. But it's the elderly, way past me, <laughs> that bring a wisdom. Amen. <laughs> and see, you got to have both. you got to have both. Because see, when you've been around a while, you see where you messed up. You see in the things that I put, I put so much effort into and it went nowhere. Because it was for me. I did that in business. I was a businessman for 25 years. Built businesses and sold businesses. Put everything into that. I remember the biggest one I had, transportation company, and we, we got, we were huge for this area. We, we were large for this area, and I put so much into that. And 90% of it was taken like that in 9-11. Because we had accounts in Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. And we lost so many people that day. And one of our largest accounts was a corporate account that we did all corporate travel and they, they made that decision that day that we're stopping all travel for six months. That kind of hurt us. So see, everything I poured into that business went nowhere. And, and, and as difficult a lesson as it was at that time, it became a blaring lesson that Jesus was telling me it's not what I want for you. You want to sell out for something, sell out for me. Then he began to open up this idea of relationship. But I look back on my life, last five or six years, and that relationship has become the most important, the sweetest, the most amazing thing in my life. But it has come at a cost. That cost is that I had to give him everything. And that's what he wants from his bride right now. That's what faces every single one of us in choice. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to go through a few passages here. I mean, he gave me a bunch of them, but we probably won't get through them all. We'll see. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, not just this, the twelve, but this, this group of people that was following him. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. For so many years, I understood this to be talking about salvation. But it isn't. See, this is not the difference between being saved and being and not being saved. This is the difference between having a relationship and not having relationship. If anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself. See, the first thing is understanding that our desires, our innate desires, what we want to do in life to gain in life, may not be the same as God's. Now, He puts things in us that make us hungry for Him. See, do you see, I wanted to be in the military. I wanted to go into the teams and all that. That's what I wanted. And, and it, by the way, it wasn't to be cool. It wasn't to have cool guns and, and get to use cool equipment and be able to be this stealthy guy. And it, it wasn't any of that for me. For me, I felt like I could make a difference in that way. I wanted to fight for something bigger than myself. That's what I wanted. But see, I was applying it in a way that was in my flesh. And Jesus, who had put that innate desire in me, He then needed to get me to a place where I would allow Him to direct it. Because, see, I didn't know it was even possible to have that same feeling, and then some, but directed at my relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, fighting for something that you believe in, it is not an intangible fight, guys. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that. This is not, standing up for Jesus Christ is not an intangible fight. It is tangible. When you say, I stand for the Lord, you are saying that from the perspective of a battlefield. And, and we've gone, we've gone over that. But the first point is denying yourself. Okay, Lord, I, I have this, I have this feeling inside of me, but, but what do you want? I feel you're giving me this, but how do you want me to apply it? I want to deny myself, take up my cross daily. What does that mean? Follow what He is giving you to do daily. If you don't know what that is, then fall back to what you do know. Daily, I'm to be in His Word. Daily, I'm to talk with Him. Daily, I'm to worship Him. Daily, I'm to give Him me. And as we do that daily, He starts to give us more daily. Starts to reveal things to us. And this, this last part, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And this is where I thought it was talking about salvation. But that's not it. For who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a, a man to gain the whole world 
and lose or forfeit himself. See, don't, don't assume that's talking about salvation because when you don't have relationship with Jesus Christ, then you truly, baseline, do not know who you are. See, because you were built for that. You were built for that relationship. And unless you pursue that relationship, you will never know who you are. You will deal only with symptoms of problems. You will never deal with the problems. Because you are built for relationship. I want you to go further down. Verse 57. And Luke here writes and says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want to I wanna say something about that for just a moment. Because you can miss this. See, in that verse, he talks about two different levels of relationship with God and two different levels of your effectiveness as a Christian. See, this was somebody Jesus picked out. Jesus picked out and said, follow me. And he said, well, hold on, Lord. Let me go and let me just bury my father first. Let me, let me deal with family issues. By the way, his father, he, he didn't need to go bury him because he was dead. See, back then, their responsibility was to take care of the elderly. And it was, let me go and wait till my father dies so I can focus on this and, and not have to focus on anything else. So what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't come back and say, no, that's the bad choice. Follow me now. I've got so much for Don't worry, I'll take care of your father. You're going to spend eternity with your father. Follow me now. But he didn't say that, did he? Because he leaves the choice up to us. What did he say? He said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He didn't say, hey, let the dead bury the dead. And come on, just follow me. I asked you to follow me, follow me. No, see, because the the person made a choice, Jesus then declared what was going to happen. He said, okay, go and proclaim my name. That's not quite what I had for you. I had something really special for you. But because you're not willing to take that, because you're not willing to count the cost of what that's going to take to do that, you can't have that. You have this. And then he ends with yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, and this is a hard word, guys. Jesus said to him, but the Lord has had this so heavy on my heart for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yet another said, I will, I'm sorry, verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back 
is fit for the kingdom of God. Let that sink in for a second. What does that mean? What happens when when you... See, they don't plow. They didn't have tractors back then, right? They had these plows. They, they would hold on to these handles, and it would have a single trough, and it would be pulled by a team of... Now you have horses, but they, they would be a, a team of cattle. And it's pulling pulling there. And what happens... If you look back, if you're plowing, what you're doing, I don't know if anybody does this mowing. I do this all the time mowing, but I'm not, I'm not watching my row, watching where my, my wheel is. When I'm mowing to try and keep a straight line, I pick a point at the end of where I'm going and I just keep my eye fixed on that point and I move forward. And then when I'm done, oh wow, straight line. Awesome. Right? Then you come back and do it the same way. When you're plowing a field, you have a point fixed ahead of you that you are walking toward. You're, you're holding this plow as steady as possible, and you're moving forward in this straight line. See, if you turn back and look to make sure you're going the way you need to, you, you turn back and look while you're plowing, what happens? You're turning the plow. And then you're going to end up having a row like this. And see, he says, if you're going to look back, you're not fit. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Is that talking about salvation? No, it's not. It's talking about relationship and and God literally working through you. He said, I can't have you looking back. And worrying about what happened there. Looking back, I, I know you hear this all the time, especially with, with older, older men. And sometimes women too, but, but where, you know, their heyday was senior in high school or might have been a senior in college. And, you know, those were, those were the heydays. Those were, those were the great days. You know, I, I was captain of the football team and, and, and I did this and did that and, and you hear it all the time and that, that's where they continue to live. You know, they've had, they've had three or four kids, they've had a marriage, they've had a, a job and, and they look back and, and, oh man, I miss those days. See, if, if that's how they live their life, then, then they're not fit to move on. Why? Because they're living in the past. Now, I'm not saying that you don't glean from the past. Good night. Please learn from the past. You know, Jesus wants us to learn from it. He just doesn't want us to live in it. If, if we were to take all of our pasts and live there, even with young people, and live in that regret... We would never do anything for the Lord. Why? Because we would be in that place where either we're living in regret or we're living in, oh, that was the good old day. And Jesus says, if you would just open your eyes, you would just build this relationship with me. I have so much for you. It'll blow you away. It'll make your head spin. I had no idea at the age of 50 years old he would call me to, to preach. Even though, honestly, that's what I wanted my whole life. Didn't want to be a businessman. 
Although I did want to control. And that's why I went into business in the first place. But see, it was from that building relationship that, that he started to show me I could sell out for something that, that had lasting value. That, that really meant something. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. See, Paul talks about this in his life, and, and I can't wait to meet Paul. You know, it's funny because I used to, I, like I said, I taught the Word of God for, for 25 years, and, and I used to think that Paul and I would probably not get along. You know, that, that he's just this headstrong guy and, and just kind of rude and, you know, we probably wouldn't get along. That's what I used to say and used to think. And, I, and, and I, I actually asked the Lord to forgive me for that. Because as I've built this relationship with the Lord, the Lord's shown me his passion and, and his hunger for the Lord. And, and it's just extraordinary. Now, now I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait. Have a couple questions, but I can't wait to meet him. I think he's going to be one of one of my favorite people to to meet outside of Jesus and the Father. But Paul wrote this in verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this, and he's talking about this walk with Christ, this relationship with Christ. Not that I have already obtained this, this perfection, or am already perfect or completed, but I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ had made me his own. Brothers, verse 13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forget what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. See, Paul here is talking about this life as being a race. And it's so interesting. One of the things that and we've, we've talked about this many times. You know, the Lord began to show me what this idea of reward was. And, and reward isn't, first of all, if you study the, what the rewards are, what the crowns are, and, and the rewards out of 1 Thessalonians and, and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, I mean, it's, it's all over in the New Testament, but, but if you, if you really study what these rewards are, first of all, it's not rewards in this life. It is literally where we will interact in the thousand year reign of Christ. Okay, there are rewards that some will get, some will not. The Bema Seat of Christ is where we're given these rewards. And it's for what we do in this life when it requires faith. Because faith, Hebrews 11 is what pleases him, right? So what we do in this life is what we're rewarded for. Now, I want to challenge you to study something. I'm not going to get into it today. 
I want to challenge you to study something. And, and I did a series on this, as a matter of fact, and, and, and I believe you could look it up. The, the series was called um, The Greatest Interview or something like that. It, it was a, it, where this life is really an interview process for where we're placed in, in, uh, in his, his thousand-year reign. But not everybody will be used in the same way. In fact, not everybody will be used, period. And, and I, I challenge you to study that. In fact, not everybody will be here on this earth during the thousand-year reign. Because that's when heaven is still in heaven, right? Okay? But there will be some. There will be the, the, the readied bride at that time, right, will we'll go to a ceremony. And, and it's, a, it's a bridal feast, They'll be invited to this bridal feast. Not everybody will. And some who come will not be prepared for it and will be told to leave. And, and, and I know I'm, I'm being a little more vague because I want you to study this. I want you to go into it. But understand that those who are ready, who have built relationship with Jesus Christ, who have allowed him to do what he wants in their life, in this life, are invited to be part of the wedding feast. And here's what happens in heaven. The last thing before Jesus comes is this feast, this wedding feast, that only certain people are invited to based on what they gave Christ in relationship in this, in this world. And then they come with him to serve in that thousand-year reign. Said that they will judge angels. They will judge people of the earth. They will literally serve and reign with Jesus Christ during that thousand-year reign. I used to think that was the entire bride. And, and then the Lord revealed to me that that's only the ready bride. Because, see, ultimately the entire bride has to be readied. Right? The entire bride has to come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And not just in salvation, not just in getting that golden ticket to heaven, but really knowing who he is and building that relationship with him. But those who do not do it here, where it can be done quickly, in retrospect, because of faith, will do it there when nothing is done by faith. But that is what will be happening in heaven during that thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. If you don't believe me, look up Revelation 21. Okay, where, where already the ready bride is on the earth with Jesus Christ. We know that. But then in Revelation 21, after there's a new heaven and a new earth made. And it's talking about the surrounding heavens, by the way, not, not the throne of God. It says, then the throne of God, which is called the New Jerusalem, will descend down. And God said, now it is time for me to be with man. It's not talking about Jesus. Jesus is already with man. He's been with man for a thousand plus years. But I want you to notice something it says there in Revelation 21. The angel says to John, he said, look, it descends as a bride who's been readied. See, the rest of the bride that isn't readied has to still be readied so that it can receive his bridegroom. 
So I'm, I'm, what I'm telling you, this idea of relationship, this is not something that, that, well, you know, I could get to that later. There's a cost to getting to it later. Just like there's, there's a different cost when you begin to build it. So what Paul is saying here is, is I press on toward that reward that I get. What is the reward? The reward isn't money. It isn't a great house. It isn't, I mean, we're all going to get that. Jesus said, I go, I go and build a place for you. So it's not about that. It's literally about proximity. Do you understand? It's about proximity to Jesus Christ. See, remember at the beginning when I said, Jesus is a 100% man. Well, the one thing he did lose and he lost for eternity is his omnipresence. Because he's given the same glorified body that you and I are given, the scripture says. So unless we all become omnipresent, that kind of doesn't work for Jesus anymore. We also know that because in the thousand year reign, he is in one place. He's on his throne in Jerusalem. So literally, what is the reward? The reward is to work in proximity to him. How many people here, if, if you, if you had, you know, pick in your mind, whoever it is, who, who is your, I don't know, some, like a celebrity or, or whatever that you think would be the coolest person to, to be with and get to know and whatever. I used to think Clint Eastwood. Thought if I could, if I could do anything, I just want to go play golf with Clint Eastwood. That would be so cool. He, I, I know. He's way older than me, alright? Let me just state. What would it be worth to you to not just meet them, but to have a relationship with them? You know, what if Clint were to give me a call and say, you know, I, I want to have lunch with you, and then we have lunch and we just hit it off. Hey, you know what? Let's, let's go, let's go, we'll play golf. And we hit it off there and he calls me a couple days later and, and hey, let's, let's go meet and talk and, and we build this relationship and hey, you know, I, I, I'm working on this project. Let me have you work on this project with me. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm in this proximity to him. And by the way, I'm not building him up as God. Although he's really a cool Western guy. <laughs> Those are his best movies, by the way. But but I'm I'm now working in in connection with him, in proximity to him. I I enjoy his company, he enjoys my company, and we get to work together. What do you think the rewards are? See, it's that with Jesus Christ. See, with Jesus Christ, we know there will be nations because it says in the thousand year reign, and after, by the way. This isn't just thousand year reign. This is and after, the Bible says. There will be nations upon the earth. There will be kings upon the earth. Don't think that the structure is going to be way different than we are now. We're not just all going to be these cherubs floating around with bows and arrows. Right? Just kind of floating around, doing nothing, singing hallelujah. Boy, if, if, that, if that is your picture of what heaven is like, then I, 
you just got to start reading. You just got to start reading. Because it's filled with responsibility. It's filled with joy. I mean, what, what gives you joy? I, I don't know about you, but me, if I am involved in something, I'm in, let's say, involved in an event that I'm working on, and I'm excited about it, and I'm pouring everything into it. What gets me excited is not just the pouring into that, but seeing the results of it, right? There, there's a satisfaction. I mean, as much as we pour into creation, there's a satisfaction when creation is done that, wow, that was awesome. That was awesome. There's a satisfaction to that. Do you know that's an innate feeling that you're supposed to have? And, and it's not just for this world. Do you know for, for the time to come, for heaven, for the thousand year reign, and then thereafter, you're going to have a job. But not a job that, oh, man, I've got to be at work in 15 minutes and I didn't want to do it. It's not like that. It's going to be something that you pour everything into because you love it. Because you love that people love what you produce. If you don't think that that's what's going to be going on in heaven, then, then I encourage you to read. Read. Ask Him. Ask Him to show you He will. Because see, there are nations, there are societies, there are communities that are going to be going on in the thousand year reign and then after. And in that, we'll all have a part to play. But see, the reward is the proximity to Jesus. It says, the nations will come and pay homage to him in Jerusalem during the thousand year reign. You know, how, how many here have access to Donald Trump right now? None of us. What if by a single choice that changed? And you can put any name in there. But, but the point is that when access is given, everything kind of changes. If I got a call that said, you know, we'd like to have you down at the White House on Wednesday afternoon because we have this meeting and we'd like for you to be a part of. Guess what? If I had just a bunch of things going on Wednesday, guess what I would say? I'm totally clear. I'll see you on Wednesday. Right? How more so would you do that for Jesus Christ? How more so would you do that? We're going to want proximity to Him. Those are the rewards here. So Paul, he said, focus on what's before you. Focus on that reward. And the reward is what? The reward is Jesus Christ. Focus on that relationship with Him. Focus on what He wants to do in your life. And I, I just want to go back to this verse. Go back. I'm not going to go to Isaiah. I was going to go to Isaiah, but we'll be another hour. Maybe we'll do it next week. But go back to Luke chapter 9. Verse 62. Verse 62. 
This is the one who said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say farewell to those at my home first. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you want to be fit? Do you want to be prepared in this life to be able to do what he has for you in the next? If you do, you can't look back and regret. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you have a month left on this earth. Regret will get you nowhere. It's recognizing where you are right now with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with him, wherever it is. And if you don't even understand this idea of relationship, then it's getting to that point where you open yourself up to what does relationship even mean? And not looking back. Doesn't mean we don't learn from the past. Of course we do. We learn from our own past. We learn from other people's past. But to look back means that I long for those times. And by the way, that's not longing for a time of peace. I get, you know, if you are in just this, this intense situation and, and, and just, uh, uh, whether it be a battle, whether it be just an intensity at work and, and whatever, if you're in this tense situation, it's not to look back and say, oh man, how awesome was, was it when I could just breathe? You know, just a few months back when I could just breathe. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about looping around and going back. Looping around and having regret and wanting to go back to what it was. And Jesus is saying, wait a second, I've, I've brought you so far you don't even see. See, see, where I brought you from that point that you thought was so awesome is is at a point where I'm about to open things up to you. If, if you would just step in faith, just step in faith. I've prepared you for this already. Don't look back. Don't look back. Just step. Just step. I promise you I'm holding your foot. Right? We're shooed with the, the armor in the Ephesians sex with the shoes of peace. What is that peace? That peace is to, is to not just step where we see where we're stepping. That's not what it is. It's stepping to recognize that he's the one holding our feet. And I just know you want me to step. I don't know what's there, but I'll step. And I feel complete peace about it. Why? Because you've told me to. You've told me to step. Don't look back. Don't regret. There's not a soul in here. There's not a soul listening to me online. That the Lord cannot take from this moment forward. And do exactly what he wants to do in your life. Nobody. Nobody. I don't care if you're bound up at work. I don't care if you're bound up in a bad relationship. I don't care if you're bound up in any other way. I promise you, if you stop looking back 
and you look into your relationship with Jesus Christ and you move forward with that, I promise you, He can do everything in your life that He intends. And and by the way, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't do that. The parable of the talents teaches us that. See, see the Holy Spirit, or the, the, the parable of the talents was the master gave out one talent to one servant, two talents to another servant, and five talents to another servant. And the servant with five, he invested it, came back, and he, he had ten. The one with two ended up coming back and had five. The one with one was afraid and went and hid it in the ground. See, these were all his servants. These were all saved people in terms of the story. They did not stop becoming his servants, but they were rewarded differently. The servant that was afraid got nothing. In in fact, what he had was taken away. But the other two servants... The, the proclamation over them was the same. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you, you would think you'd look at the one and say, say, well, yeah, but this one turned five into ten. He really did better. So, so well, well done for you and well done for you. It's not what Jesus said. Right? Why? Because the first part of that parable Jesus said that the whole, that, that the, the, the master gave them out according to what they were able to do. So don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't compare yourself to somebody who is, who's called to ministry. Right? And, and by the way, don't compare yourself in either way. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I could never do that because I'm not, I, I don't have that kind of time. That's one side not to compare. The other side not to compare is, well, I don't need to do that because I'm not called to that all the time. See, there's a danger both ways. Because we're all called to open our mouths, wherever we are. And he's going to just place us where he needs us to be. So you are not running a race, as Paul was talking about, against other people. If, if that's the case, then then if there's only one person that's going to win the prize that Paul was talking about, then you could probably assume he won it already and there's no prize left. That would kind of be silly, wouldn't it? No, the person you're running against is you. The person you're running against is what God wants for your life. You are your only competition. That could be a good thing and that could be a bad thing. Because, see, some people are motivated by competition. And they could be, I'm motivated by competition. I love competition. But to be motivated to compete against myself, there's no motivation. See, to me, that, that, that's a false motivation. But when, when I understand that my only responsibility in this life is to get what he's telling me. And a step. That's all. That's all. I don't have to change the world. I just have to give him a vessel that if he wants to use it to change the world, he can. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is just give him me. His responsibility is to do whatever he wants with me. 
It's the same with you. Whatever He has given you, whatever place He has placed you, you are not competing against anybody else. You're competing against yourself. So allow Him to do it. Allow Him to grow in you a love for Him that you will give your very life for Him. Just like it says in John 15. You've become my friends. And, and the, the qualification of a true friend is one that would give his life for another. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Would you give your life for Jesus Christ? You know, it's one thing to say, you know, if someone's got a gun to your head and, and would, you, would you, you know, deny Jesus Christ? No. Click, click, boom. You're dead. That's over pretty quick. Whatever, then I get to be with him. You know, how much of a threat is that? It's another thing to say, your whole life, will you give me your whole life every day? Every day. See, the monotony of life is way harder to deal with than the sensational parts. The sensational parts, it's easy to say, Lord, you have everything from me. It's when... It doesn't feel like anything's really happening. You know, I, I, I don't feel like anything's really going on. I know you're teaching me stuff, but, but like I don't see anything happening in my life. I, I'm pursuing this relationship, and, and I, I know Pastor Greg keeps talking about just, just going to you every day and talking to you every day and reading your word and, and, and listening to that still small voice and, and learning, but, but I'm just not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm stepping in it, but I'm not getting it. That's where you have to be careful. Because you're getting more than you think. See, he didn't say, open the door and realize who I am. He said, I'll open the door. I'll come in and I'll sit with you. But he's going to open the door when he knows that door is ready to be opened. Because he wants us to want him. So many times when we're in prayer group and, and we just want the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, He has said, I need you to want me. I need you to want me. Do you want Him? Do you want Him in your life? And I don't just mean His principles. Do you want Him? Do you want relationship with Him? If you want relationship with Him, what are you willing to pay for that? Because I promise you, it will not cost a little bit. It will cost everything. And he will give you more than that cost would ever pay for. Because I promise you, relationship with him is just the most extraordinary thing in the world. Recognizing his love. See, I could walk into a battlefield without a gun, knowing full well I'll be killed. With no regrets. No problems. Simply because I know he loves me. And I know who I am to him. I'm somebody he died for. He gave everything for me. You're no different. You're no different at all. Recognize that. Know what he gave for you. And just trust him in it.
Father, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, because you are true and you are righteous. We thank you, God, that you are drawing a line in the sand. That what has been for centuries will no longer be tolerated because you are readying your bride. Father, I declare that we love you. We desire this relationship. We desire your presence. We desire, not just corporately, but we desire for you to show up in our lives and be our best friend. I pray for each person here, God, and where where each one of them is in their relationship with you. Whether it is non-existent at this point, or very close in relationship. I pray, Lord, that this morning a new door be opened for each one. A new recognition of your knocking. Of your desire to open the door and to sit down and and just talk together. Just pour out who you are. Fulfill the very thing that you have come for, and that is love. Father, I pray this for this local assembly here, but I pray this for your bride. We know it will happen because of Revelation 3.9. We know that your bride must be ready before you come together. But God, that's not even why I'm praying for it. I'm praying for people to open up to relationship with you because you deserve it. And although they may not understand it, it will be the best thing in the world that's ever been opened up to them. So I pray the power of your Holy Spirit to work heavy on each life. I pray, Father, that you help us to recognize that it begins with repentance. Because we cannot live in known sin and yet expect to walk with you. You said that you would help us with that, and you do. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you reach down deep into hearts and just help them to step, whether they know where their foot is going to land or not, but just step in sync with you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great word and um, something we've heard over and over and over, but yet through a different lens. So I I do hope that you'll go and listen. I remember hearing messages like this in the past and thinking that when you hear a message about the fact that 
everything you do, it's for the Lord is the most important. You start to kind of think, okay, so then really what that means is that until I'm in full-time Christian service, everything else that I do is secondary. And it's really not like that at all. Um, I, cause I grew up in a family with all kinds of Christian leaders and pastors and people in my family. And they were always, you know, hundred percent, you know, full-time Christian work. And it wasn't until God gave me the lens that we're all called to full-time Christian work all the time, you know, for many, many years. And, and I'm down to, to the most part-time I've ever been in terms of training, you know, at the gym. But God showed me that, you know, when I go to the gym, that's, that's full-time Christian work. I don't just see bodies to help or train. I see souls to love and to share Christ with when I have opportunity. And it's through that lens that everywhere you go, um, the nurses that we have, you know, they're not just saving bodies and lives and from illness and injury. They are imparting, they're carrying Jesus and the Holy Spirit into atmospheres that help and change lives way beyond the physical. So really, it's all the same. It's everything the same. And that's the, the God lens of what it means to be all in. Everything is secondary to our relationship with Christ. But that doesn't mean that everyone's work is secondary. Your highest calling may be that you are going to be a nurse or a doctor in this world. You know, part of the readying of the bride is that we need people in positions of power. We need political you know, offices held by passionate Christians who are called to be senators and congressmen, who are called to be judges, but who live their lives through a God lens because of the Holy Spirit living within them. So when we see things from that lens, it isn't about Christian service versus non-Christian service. It's we're just full-time God carriers in everything that we do all the time. That is the all in. That's the difference. And when you see it that way, you don't then measure or discount, like he said, because I was thinking that same thing when it came out of his mouth, is that it's like either like, oh, I don't have to because that's your, that's your gig. You know, you, you're the one that gave everything up because God told you to start a church. Well, whatever. I just attend. Okay. I don't, I'm not doing the whole leadership thing. There's a lot of people that look at it like that, but that's not. That's not what it is. God expects everything from you. It just may be everything in your corporate office, everything in your hospital as a nurse or everything in your job as an electrician, wherever you are, you can be um, so uh, just transforming of atmospheres and souls in your life. And, and if you haven't ever heard Todd White's testimony, you need to go back and listen to that because that's exactly what happened in all of his jobs that he had. He just became this passionate, evangelistic soul winner in every job he has. And it wasn't really until later that God lifted him out of that and the demand to share his testimony became a full-time ministry speaking thing. But every job he had, he was passionate about and um, because of Jesus. And so that's really what this is about. And, and I just, um, that's really where God wants us and not looking at the lens. And, and one other quick thing I wanted to mention, because he was in Luke and I've been in Luke for the ladies class in the mornings, but in Luke, you know, when Jesus healed the 10 lepers, he said something very unorthodox. And you always see this, that Jesus is saying the weirdest things to people. When they begged for him to be he, for him to heal them, he said, go and present yourselves to the, to the priests. His answer was an immediate requiring of faith because it says, as they went, they were healed. Mm-hmm. So his direction, here they are begging for something from God. And his answer to them was not what they wanted to hear. Like, okay, 
we can't, first of all, we're, we're outcasts because we have this leprosy. But then why are we presenting ourselves to the priest? We asked you for healing. I asked you for this, God, and you're telling me to do that. And it wasn't until they obeyed by faith and went that the healing came upon them. Yeah. And so we, the other little quick thing, don't forget when you listen to this message again, which I hope you do, is that we have to, see, we have to hear God from a God filter, not say, okay, God, you're telling me to do that. But I know that you know I've got this and I've got school and I'm dating this guy now and I've got, and I've got these things. But thank you, Lord. I, I get it. I hear you. And this is what I'm going to do working around my, my life and schedule. That's not, that's not what God says. Otherwise, the, those, the lepers would have just said, well, he doesn't really mean go and present yourself to the priest because, I mean, that's just absurd. People don't do that in society. So, I mean, I guess we'll just, I don't know, we'll just hang out. We'll just do something and, you know, we'll just maybe pray some more. No, he told them something against society, unorthodox in that culture. And it was through their pure obedience of his word that the healing came. So that's the lens we need. We got we to gotta just know if God's telling us to do something, it does not matter. Circumstances, what anybody says in our lives, family, anybody, it's got to be God's way. Uh, and that's where we find, that's where we find the miracles, which is what they found, the healing. So, uh, so praise God for that message. And, um, I had a weird vision when we were, um, in worship at one point and, and I, it's like, I just saw this bolt of a, of a bright light that hit Greg just right where he was sitting and his arms flew out and the lights went out his sides, which was basically that the Holy Spirit had landed on him to deliver only God's word this morning, not his own. And I was very confident. I, I was confident before that anyway, but it was like, it just, it just rocked me like, okay, Lord, we're going to hear from you. I'm not going to hear from Greg this morning. I'm going to hear from you because that, that light has overtaken him. And, uh, and that's, boy, that, isn't that what you want? You want that, the Holy Spirit to just yeah. get you on fire wherever you go. If you're going to go to a restaurant in a few minutes, if you're going to go out anywhere, have that. Ask God, say, let me be that bolt of lightning, man, that I can impart truth. I can impart love and anything to the server, to the, to everybody that I see. If I'm stopping at a store just to be Jesus in this starving and thirsty world that we're in. So praise God for that. 